So for the past few weeks, we have been talking about the new life in Christ. And then we started off by looking at how that man is a spirit, and then man has a soul and he lives in a body, all right? And we looked at how that, because the spirit is mostly hidden, many people don't pay attention to the spirit. People pay attention to their body a lot. In fact, a lot. People buy nice body creams like Macari or Cocoa Butter, Evershin, and spotting waves for their hair. Some have Durag, some have plenty wigs. <laughs> Wee bones and mesh. They take good care of their body. Do you understand? You know, some have time for pedicure, manicure, body waxing, massage, taking care of the body. And some pay attention to their soul when it comes to their mind. Of course, they will go to good schools. It's, good, it's very good to go to a good school, if you didn't know. Yeah. It's very good to go to a good school, at least. If you are doing that, that's a plus for you. Some pay attention by reading books to feed their minds, some their emotions, their psychology. But because the spirit is hidden, many don't pay attention to it, especially Christians. And you see, when you don't pay attention to the spirit in itself and things of the spirit, you realize that you don't maximize what God has made available to you. And so we talked about how it is important to know the spirit of man, all right? And we talked about Nicodemus in John 3 when he came to Jesus and when he was talking to Jesus, he, Jesus said a, um, made a statement like, except a man be born again, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. Then Nicodemus asks a very logical and very vital question. How can I be born again when I'm already old? I could imagine Nicodemus was an old man, so he was like, do I go back to my mom and say, Mommy, your baby is here. I want to be born again. Give birth to me again. It's like, how is this going to be possible? But Jesus spoke in parables to him. And then later, Jesus took him through John chapter from John chapter 1, we see Jesus talking to Nicodemus and say, not really. I'm just talking about what happened when, for example, Moses typified salvation by putting the snake on the pole. So Jesus said to Nicodemus that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, you know, what happened, that story should be in Numbers chapter 21. What happened is that the children of Israel, they disobeyed God. They were discouraged, and they began to speak against God. And so by so doing, they sinned. And so snakes came, and snakes were biting them. If you read that book, you know, there was, when we were young, there was a book. Is it the book of life? That book that has a yellow page. That if somebody who has the book brings it to school, he becomes the guy of the day. Because everybody wants to see the book. 
You see, those books, they, they use that book to kind of typify stories in the Bible, very popular ones. And so you see, these snakes came and they were biting the children of Israel. And so they, they went to Moses and said, we have sinned against God, pray for us. And then when Moses prayed, the Bible said that God spoke to Moses and said that he should put a fiery serpent made of brass and put that serpent on a pole. And anyone that will look at that serpent, as they look at the serpent, they will leave. So it was look and leave. So Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Do you understand? So in a sense, he was telling him that I am going to die. And how I'm going to die is that I'll be crucified on the cross. And when I have been crucified and dead and resurrect, any man that will believe in me, that's how we go through that John 3 journey and then we come to John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish. So in a sense, he said how to be born again is that you have to believe in Jesus. Do you understand? And then we came on to see that now that a person is born again, he comes to Christ. Then we started off with 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming and all things are of God. So we began to explore the new creation life. What happens when a man comes into Christ? And then we started by saying that the person is, what, forgiven. You receive what? Remission of sins. And remission of sins simply means that the pardon, or, or, or the, the penalty of sin, you are pardoned. And not just that, but you're also liberated from the bondage of the offense. Now we wanted to see how that we have been cleansed, washed, and sanctified. Right? So God has sanctified us. He has washed us. He has cleansed us. He has made us holy. And then by reason of that, he expects us to be holy. Then we went on to say that you are what? The righteousness of God. Say, he who knew no sin, he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So we have been made righteous because he has justified us. So in justification, it's like you know, somebody taking you to court, and then the judge sits in there. Then they bring your case. They, they, they bring your folder. They begin to tell you all the counts, um, how many counts? Maybe seven counts of fraud, conspiracy, contempt. They, they mention all of it. And then you know you are guilty. You know you are guilty. Then all of a sudden, a defense attorney shows up. Say, my Lord, I pray this honorable court. <laughs> and he begins to say, my Lord. Then somebody says, objection. He says, the judge will say, maybe sustained or overruled. You understand? So maybe let's, just, let's, let's try to, you know, graphicalize this. Like, for example, you were in the docket, and then all your sins were being played. Oh, look at this guy with the things that he was doing. And then the defense, uh, um, the, the, the prosecutor. Do you see in the Bible where the Bible says that the accuser of the brethren, who accuses the uh, brethren before God, what, day and night. So the devil is on one side. He's the prosecutor. He's the accuser. He has all the evidence. He has all the evidence. That day that you were insulting somebody on the streets. Oh, he has the evidence on when it was left with you and some guy in the corner. 
Hey! He also have evidence, grand evidence of when. You imagine when you were younger and then you go to the kitchen and then what mommy and daddy said you should not take in the fridge. You are there opening it and then you are eating right there on the spot. He has the evidence. He has all the evidence against you. And then all of a sudden, oh, as hopeless you are, that you have become, when a defense attorney shows up in the name of a person called Jesus, then he has now said, I am your attorney. I am your advocate. And guess what? He's not just your advocate, but he has become your propitiation. He has become your atonement. He said, for all that you did, I stand in your case for you. For all that you did, all the handwriting of ordinances that have been written against you, all the offense that is um, written against your name, now I present my blood. And my blood becomes the propitiation for you. My blood becomes the atonement for you. My blood is now paying for all your sins. And then the judge says, because of what your defense attorney, because of what your advocates has presented as evidence of being the propitiation for you, you are now acquitted. Yes, you are now justified. So the Bible said, I'm being justified freely. And guess what? You paid nothing. He did it for free. So he said, you have been justified. He said, not just that, I'm not leaving you there. Now my righteousness becomes your righteousness. Oh, glory to God. So he has justified us and he has made us righteous. Our righteousness is not because of what we are able to do or what we did, but our righteousness is based on what Jesus did. So the Bible said that by one man's offense, all men became sinners. Much more the same way, by one man's obedience, all men have been made what? Righteous. So we have now become the righteousness of God in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? So now, what that means is that there is no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So you can now approach the Father with no sense of guilt or shame or sense of inferiority. Why? Because you have been justified. You have been made righteous. And then we went on to say that now, God has come to make his abode in you. You now have the Spirit of God in you. He lives in you. He didn't come for a vacation. He didn't come to say, oh, let me just go and do a scoping and scanning in this person's life in Ziva. No, he came to live in you. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you as orphans. But the Spirit of God, he shall come to live in you and he shall abide in you for how long? Forever. So he now lives in you. Do you understand? So now you know what you have become in Christ. Now today, we will take it a bit further and talk about how we walk in the newness of life. And then we can conclude this series. So now that we know that a person becomes born again, his spirit is made anew, and nothing changes physically about the person, his body and mind still remains the same, his body, as, as much as we know, is the home of the spirit and the five senses. The senses of man is always trained by his past life. Do you understand that? So now we say the person is a righteous man. 
We say the person is sanctified. How do we now make it um, real in this person's life? I want you to lift, lift up your voice for a moment and begin to pray. Just lift up your voice and begin to pray. Oh, the eyes of our understanding have been enlightened. The eyes of our understanding have been enlightened that we may know what is the hope of his calling. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this time of revelation, insight, and understanding in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today we are talking about walking in the newness of life. How do we actualize all that Christ has done in us so that we can see it evident in our lives? That he has made us righteous, that he has sanctified us, that the Spirit of God indwells us. How do we actualize this in our lives? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter number 12, the verse number 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, we already know that when you become born again, all the material changes that happen about you, it happens in the spirit. Do you understand? But you see, the makeup and the setup of man is such that the body is the home of the spirit and the senses. And a man that has not walked with God, when he begins to start to walk with God, his mind, although his spirit is renewed or his spirit has been made new, his mind remains the same. So you now have to take an extra effort of renewing your mind. You have to now change your mind. How do you change your mind? You change it by conforming your mind to what has happened within you or what has happened in your spirit. So you will take the word of God and use the word of God to now renew the mind, to now retrain the mind so that how you have been made now in Christ, your mind can relate to that new life. Do you understand that? So he said you have to be transformed. The true transformation that will become external for all men to see that this person is truly born again or this person is in Christ, it will start fundamentally when the person's mind starts to be renewed. That's why sometimes you can see somebody and the person says, I'm born again, and it looks like the person's life doesn't conform to it. It's like, ah, how can this person be, say, say he's born again? Look at his life. Truly speaking, the person might have been born again. Let me give you an example. If right now we go out for evangelism and then we meet somebody who is a drunkard and then the person becomes sane for some few minutes for us to speak to him, he will now receive the gospel. And then say, oh, you talk to him about Jesus, how that he died, he was raised from the dead, and how that he has made peace available. And he said, oh, yes, I believe. Question, when did the person go born again? Right there. So at that point in time, do you still refer to him as a drunkard? No. At that point in time, he has become born again. Now, when he leaves the evangelism center and probably goes back to his house, they will not see that a guy has been born again. Because what happened has what? Been made. The changes had occurred within him. 
But now we have to see a reflection in his lifestyle. If he has truly been born again, we have to see the fruit of what has happened within him outside. And so this person, if all he says is, ah, I have been born again, and then he does not go on to renew his mind, in the process of time, we see something missing in his life. And then it will be very difficult for others or even to an extent himself to relate with this new life. He might start to doubt what God has done within him. Do you understand? And that's why it is important that we renew our mind according to the word of God. So the first thing to do is to acknowledge who you have become in Christ. You have to acknowledge who you have become in Christ. You as an individual, you have to acknowledge who you are becoming Christ. Praise God. You must believe in what God says you are. You must believe in what God says you are. You must believe in what God says he has done in your life according to the word of God. So if God says you have been washed and cleansed and sanctified, you must believe it. If God says that you have been forgiven, you must believe it. If God says that you have been justified, you must believe it. If God says that you are now the righteousness of God in Christ, you must believe it. What God has done and said concerning you, you have to first acknowledge it, you have to first believe it, and you have to profess what God says about you. Are you with me? So what God says about you, you have to say the same thing. By saying that, what you are saying is that I believe what God has done in my life. So if God says, you are the righteousness of God, what do you say? I am the righteousness of God. If God says that you have been sanctified, what do you say? That I have been sanctified. You know, there are some Christians, they find it difficult to believe what God has done in their life. So sometimes, people go to God in a place of prayer. Say, oh God, as I have come to you as a sinner, as I have come to you as a sinner, I, have, I am not worthy. My righteousness is like filthy rags before you. And you see, as sincere and humble as it may sound, that Christian is opposing the word of God. Do you understand? Because if God says you are righteous, you cannot call yourself a sinner. Because sinner, as it were, is an identity. Righteous, as it is, is also an identity. So if a person says, I am a sinner, what he's saying is that I have not yet received Christ. So if a Christian who has believed the gospel, who has received Christ, goes on to say that he is a sinner, then he has not yet understood who he has become in Christ. So you must acknowledge and accept what God has done in your life. A sinner is an identity. A righteous man is also an identity. If you have, be, you have come to Christ, you have to accept your new identity and walk in it. So, but, yeah, but maybe sometimes we fault, we fault, we make mistakes, we sin. Yes, it still does not make you a sinner. Do you understand that? It still does not make you a sinner. You are identified as a righteous man because you are in Christ. Guess what? Your righteousness was not imputed on you because of what you did. Do you get that? 
It was imputed on you because of what Jesus did. So what you are doing cannot undo what Jesus did. Well, if you say that, then that means that's a payday. Let's go and say, no, you are not being wise. Are you with me? So the Bible said that awake unto righteousness and sin not. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 34. Awake unto righteousness and sin not. When you are awakened to the reality and the consciousness of what Christ has done in you as a righteous person, that's what leads you not to sin. Let me give you an example. When we were younger, some people are still the same as we have grown. <laughs> you realize that when we go to school, especially for boys, every place they see football, they, go, they want to play. So they'll be playing football with their old shoes, be playing, even if it's in their mind, they'll be playing. Now, let me ask you a question. The day you get a new shoe, and then you see your friends are playing football in the mud. Are you going to go? Yes or no? no? No. Why? Because you have what? A new shoe. When your mother gave you the shoe, I can imagine the warnings that came with it. Do you know how much I bought this shoe? Or maybe it was given to you by an uncle who, who lives in America or, or UK back then. So, ah, this shoe is nice. You know, in our days, it was Reebok and Adidas. It was the top. If you wear some yoga, and then you have been given this nice Reebok shoe or Adidas shoe, they told you the price. How much? $50? Hey. Do you see that? Because of the newness of the shoe, because of the price tag of the shoe, now, I, when you are walking, are you going to be careful? Do you understand that? Because the shoe is new. Because you are conscious of the newness of the shoe. You now behave different. But when you get the old shoe again, ah, when the football, even if it's raining, you'll still be there and be playing. Because you don't regard the old shoe. The same way. When you become conscious of the new life in Christ, it awakes you to the reality of that life and then you begin to walk according to that life. So if God says you are righteous, when you behold his righteousness, you begin to live right. And that's why it's important to acknowledge what God does or what God has done in your life. Are you with me? And righteousness precedes right living. When a person accepts that he is the righteousness of God, that's how he's now able to live right. Because in him becoming the righteousness of God, what happens is that sin no longer has dominion over him. And so he has now become the servant of righteousness. You now serve righteousness. When you were a sinner, when you were not in Christ, you were a servant of sin. You were obedient to sin. You did what sin told you to do. You went where sin asked you to do. But when you come into Christ, the Bible said that he liberates us from the bondage and the dictates and the demands of sin. He said he has delivered us from the kingdom and the power and the authority of darkness and he has translated us to the kingdom of his dear son Jesus. So what happens is that now that you are in Christ, the authority of the devil is broken over you. So now you become a servant of righteousness. You now serve righteousness. What righteousness asks you to go, that's where you go. What he asks you to do, that's where you, 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 you uh, that's what you do. Do you understand? 
So being conscious of what God has done in you is what empowers you to live according to it. Are you with me? So if God says that you have been washed, what do you say? I have been washed. Say, I'm the righteousness of God. I'm the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus. I'm the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus. I have been washed. I have been cleansed. I have been sanctified. I have been washed. I have been cleansed. I have been sanctified. My sins have been forgiven. I have the love of God. In me, I am a new creation. I am a new creation. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart. Praise God. So you begin to walk according to how God expects you to walk. When you start to acknowledge what he has done in you. Hallelujah. The second thing is to check your thoughts and desires. Praise God. Check your thoughts and desires. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Oh, beautiful. Can we read that together? All right, one, two, let's go. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Next one. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Let's take that again. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That's amazing. So if the Bible tells you to set something, that means you have the capacity to set it. Do you understand? Because you see, everything called sin, it starts from somewhere. (laughs) It starts from somewhere. Sin in itself doesn't just happen. You know, some people, they do something, it's the devil, it's the devil, it's the devil. You can't talk like that. Because the Bible already told you that the power of the devil has been broken over you. So the devil, in a sense, does not have the capacity to control you. I'll take that again. The devil does not have the capacity to control you. Unfortunately, many Christians have the thoughts that the devil can control them. If the Holy Ghost lives in the inside of you, it's a greater one. Greater is he that what? Lives in me. If he lives in you, the devil cannot also live in you. Demons can influence you externally, but they cannot drive you to act internally. They can speak and you might probably hear. You can hear. Something might entice you, but it's up to you. What are you going to do? Look at what James James gave an analogy of how sin is programmed. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. 
But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. 15. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do you understand? So he said, when you are drawn by your own desires, you see, by your own selfish desires, every sin, no matter what it is called, at the root cause of it is selfishness. Any act of sin, regardless of what it's called, at the root cause of it is what? Selfishness. Remember, when we receive Christ, we receive the nature of God. And what's the nature of God? Love. He said the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that lives in us. So we have the capacity to love just as God loves. And the Bible makes us understand that to the new creation man, the only law that he received is the law of love. The Bible calls it the perfect law of liberty. The law of love. So we have the, the, everything that was given to the Jews then in the wilderness, the Ten Commandments, everything is enshrouded in one thing, love. So the Bible said, love the Lord your Lord, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So any other thing that you do outside of love is what? Sin. It will take somebody to walk out of love, and then he will land in the place of selfishness. And selfishness, when you do anything out of selfishness, it lands you to sin. So he said, when your desire, your selfish desire, it has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. So that means that as long as a person is walking in love, as long as a person is walking in love, as long as a person is walking in love, they have no business with sin. So he said, set your mind on things above. So you now have to set your mind, set your affection, tune it, tune it towards good things. Do you understand? So if somebody's lifestyle means that he should be, he should be watching pornography, watching things that are not good, it's like when you see somebody's item, you begin to, ah, I want this. It's a desire. That's where it starts. But as you keep feeding the desire, when that thought comes, and then you keep feeding it, ah, why does he even have it? You see, it starts from, I want, ah, if I get this and I will like it. Then you now become, why does he even have, have it? Ah, how can I even get this thing? Ah, should I seal it? You see, as the thoughts are coming and you keep feeding them, they begin to mature. And before you realize, you find yourself doing it. So he said, now set your affections on things above. You now begin to feed your mind with the right stuff. You, you start by meditating on the word of God. And as you meditate on the word of God, you, you're, you're being built up. You're being built up. You're being built up in faith. You're being built up in love. You know, that you saw something, oh, I can get it when it's time for me. You know, God can provide this thing for me. Do you understand that? You, you look at a woman like, ah, there are some guys, when they see a woman is beautiful, there's only one thought that comes to their mind. My bed. How? Could you not even think that this person could be a sister? This person could be a good friend. You can help this person get better in their prayer life or you can help this person. The only thought, why? Because that's what the world has programmed us to. 
That when you see a woman, that's the thought that should come. When you see a man, this is the thought that should come. But that's why he said you have to renew your mind. So you are not conformed to the world system, but rather to the dictates and the demands of the kingdom. So you set your heart on things above. Praise God. And it's possible to do it because sin does not have dominion over you. Are you with me? Sin does not have dominion over you. The devil does not have dominion over you. You are under the authority of Christ. The Bible said that he has bought us with a price. He has bought us with a price. That's why we call him our Lord, because he owns us. He owns us. See, when you understand this thing, your life can take a new shift. When you understand the fact that you are owned by Christ, you are owned by Christ, oh, glory to God. Jesus owns me. He bought me with a price. Ah, he is my Lord. That's how I know that I can be preserved. That's how I know that I cannot die prematurely because he owns me. He said, your life is hid in Christ and Christ in God. I know where I am. Are you understanding that? I know where I am. My life is hid in Christ and Christ in God. And Jesus said the other day, I lay down my life and I take it again. No man can take it away from me. That's how I know that I cannot die prematurely. There is a life in me. It's a life-giving spirit. And because of that life-giving spirit, I know I am preserved. He said, we are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above principalities and powers and dominions and thrones and even things that are yet to be named. So I know that in him I live. In him I move. In him I have my being. I am covered in him. I am secured in him. I set my mind on these things. And as I meditate on it, his strength becomes my strength. Oh, David knew this. He understood this. But I said, the Lord is the strength of my life. <laughs> he said, the Lord is the strength of my life. As long as the Lord lives, I know. I know. Praise God. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. Where Christ is. The next one. Thank you, Jesus. Walking in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the last of the flesh. For the flesh lasts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Is that these are contrary one to the other or to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Can we take that again? All right, let's start from verse 16 and read again. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh last against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary one to another or to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish 18 and if you are led by the spirit you are not under the 
law. So he said, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So you might have some thoughts coming to you. What do you do? You subject it to the spirit of God. Do you understand? Because you have to stay conscious that the spirit of God lives in you. And Jesus said that he will become what? Your comforter, your standby, your ever-present help. He's our helper. And his role is to help you out in any form of infirmity, in any situation. So as we walk in the spirit, you know, walking in the spirit is not seeing visions, so to speak. So I'm in the spirit. Call up. And then you start to shake. No. No. <laughs> Walking in the spirit is not seeing wild stuff or mundane stuff, things that nobody can imagine. And you become audacious and you are the, ah, the papa see. Do you understand? Walking in the spirit is simply being subjected to the consciousness of the Holy Spirit and walking in love. When a person is walking in the spirit, he's walking in love. Or when a person is walking in love and is conscious of the reality of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, that he's conscious that the Spirit of God lives in me. And then he knows that whatever happens in my way, I can subject myself to the Holy Ghost and he can provide me the required help that I need. Then you are walking in the Spirit. He says something that I want to show you, and I'll close on that. This same Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Do you live in the Spirit? How do you do that? See? So he's already stated that you live in the Spirit. So you are not somebody who is trying to enter the Spirit. We live in the spirit. So as we are now as Christians, we live in the spirit. He said, as we live in the spirit, let us also what? Walk in the spirit. So we are already in the spirit realm because when Jesus brought us to the presence of God, we didn't go back. We are still there. Sometimes we say, oh, we have come to the presence of God when we come to church. It's not entirely right. Or we want to go into the presence of God. No, we live in his presence. Because the Bible said that we are where? In Christ. And Christ is in God. So we, that realm that we live in, we said we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places. It's a permanent thing. So we are always in his presence. That's why any time that you cry to him, he will hear. That's why you have to walk with a consciousness that God hears you at any point in time. So we live in the spirit, so let us walk in the spirit. Let us capitalize and take advantage of the spirit realm and the spirit of God who lives in there with us. Let us capitalize and take advantage of the spirit of God who lives in us. God is with us because he's in us. So when we become conscious and we walk in that reality, that's how you begin to manifest the fullness of the newness in life. The, the, new, the newness of life in Christ. Are you with me? So love and walking in love is the believer's way of conducting himself as he's supposed to. If you walk in love, you will not offend somebody. If you walk in love, you won't backbite. 
you won't insult. If you walk in love, you, you can forgive. Do you understand? I cannot forgive. No, not Not me. Ah, let me go back and then you see. You see. The Bible said that one day, John and his brother, he said, the, 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 something happened. Jesus wanted to go somewhere and then they didn't receive him. Well. He said, shall we just call fire down on them like Elijah? They said, you know not the kind of spirit you are. So vengeance and retaliation is not the life of the new creation man, but rather love is. I want us to lift up our voice and begin to thank God for this light and transformation that he has brought to us. The next few minutes, you want to lift up your voice and thank him. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this light. Thank you for this transformation. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the, your life that is in us, that you have given us your life. And we maximize this life that you have given to us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But this light radiates. It radiates in us. This light radiates in us. This light radiates in us. Thank you, Jesus. Shoparadiku shapaya. Zolento koshapalaka parado shayantaya. Silimbrado shenke palabrado shepea. In the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. In your light, we see light. We maximize the newness of life in our everyday life. It becomes real. It becomes real to us. It becomes palpable in our lives. And we rejoice in this walk. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.